everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. And today, uh, I got a big one for you. Your ears are in for a treat today. I have probably one of the heaviest hitters in the entire industry. So let's uh, let's make this happen. I have Tom Donnelly today. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing great. Doing great. Nice, nice to be invited onto the show. Yeah, thanks for agreeing to do this. I know you're a busy man, and you're coming off of a big move. Uh, you just moved to Spain. Uh, so how how is that? How was that? How is it getting adjusted? I know you were spent some time in Singapore too. So so you're no um, yeah. stranger to, to to new places. So how how is that going for you? Yeah, well, I think one big difference with Singapore was Singapore's national language is English. So in our warm up, I was sharing some stories about being immersed in Spanish here. Yeah, um, and, and as you pointed out, I will I will learn it. Um, being immersed is the best way to learn it. Um, and uh, from a family perspective, I mean, we had sold our house uh, during the process of, of leaving Singapore. Um, and so, you know, landing here, all we, we had to pack a couple bags. I brought my bicycle. Uh, you yeah. know, I mean, we're, we're good to go. I got a few changes of clothes and a laptop. What, what else do you need, Jordan? Yeah, that's right. You know, start, start over, start fresh. And, and you, that's one of, I think the real big benefits of, of our, the way that our, our businesses, you know, kind of went in this transition to remote work is like, we have these opportunities, and especially for you, like where you're, you're experienced in going into emerging markets with your businesses and launching your products. And we'll kind of get into that in a little bit, but it's really cool the way that like the, the world has embraced us to be able to go do these types of things where we can just go where we need to go to get the job done and where we want to go. You know, like I, my old boss lived in Barcelona uh, when I was at Ticketmaster and it was always great weather. He's a walkable cities, things that we don't necessarily have in the u.s and i think like based on what i know of you you're real big into that sort of lifestyle you're an active person so hey I, i'm excited for you to and to try it out over there and and have a good time yeah so thanks. let's kind of transition into into the kind of how we met it's the typical structure we do and I, I think you have a really interesting story because like i said you are a heavy hitter in this industry you are kind of one of the the founders of the industry overall in the way that it is at this current day um I met you, I believe, at a threat metrics convention in uh, Napa and Silverado Resort back in 2012. And I don't know if you were at the time. Were you still the the uh, CEO of the MRC at that time? Uh, That's correct. I, yeah, I was. Yeah. I was the the first employee uh, for the Merchant Risk Council. It had been run by uh, volunteers, Julie Ferguson being one of them, Tom Sullivan, and a few other really dedicated people. So MRC started in 2000. They hired me in 2006. Um, and I was there through 2013. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, we on this podcast specifically, like we talk a lot about the MRC and, and what it means to our industry overall. It's kind of like the the central hub, the heartbeat of of what we all do. It's how we all met each other for the most part. Um, it's it's how we get our information. So I think it's really interesting. And I do want to talk about that um, a little more, like it, as, as much as you're willing to and can share. But that's super interesting that like you were the first one there. And I think that that's that's a... a a lot, a lot in there that we can talk about because the organization and how it's grown and how it's evolved, even my time in the industry, like I joined the industry in 2011, uh, mm -hmm. is just, it's so much different. It's so much bigger. There's so much money in it now. When I remember like, you know, even, even the first, the, the first one that I went to was still a pretty big conference, but it was not nearly as big as it is now. It wasn't nearly as polished as it is right. now. And it's, it's like, I really want to talk to you about what it was like to grow that, to get it to that. Because like when you were, when you left in 2013, it was, it was big. We were at Aria. We were, we were having booths, you know, like we had 
full big events happening. Like we had some really, really, really cool stuff. And like, I think that, that you ushering it into this era is, is a really interesting story. So actually let's just start there. So yeah. yeah. Can you tell me a little more, sure. tell me some stories, tell me all about the MRC. It, it all starts with me meeting Tom Sullivan through a consultant. I, I had been working in environmental organizations and welfare to work organizations, a philanthropy organization. And when I get introduced to Tom, I'm like, you don't want to hire me. Like I don't even <laughs> shop online, like yeah. let alone any understand anything about the inner workings of payments or fraud for heaven's sakes. Um, and so as I got to know him and the other board members at that time, again, all run by volunteers, I really saw this dedicated group of people. They were, you know, spending time away from their families on top of their day jobs to run this MRC thing. Um, and it was a huge, uh, you know, there's a benefit to society for companies coming together through MRC and doing a better, better job of squeezing out nasty actors um, and making it a better customer experience for, you know, for, for the consumers who use their sites or the small businesses, right? So I came in and did exactly um, what you said, um, Jordan. My, my time and focus early on wasn't about understanding the content and what you were doing in your day job. Um, what I was doing is focused on building up those events, strengthening the board, finding ways to, to grow the budget, you know, sponsorship of events, these kind of things. Um, we expanded internationally into uh, Europe in 2010. Um, that's where I met uh, my current CEO, Nicholas Fedren. Most people call him Nico um, at, the, at the Allies uh, firm, um, advisory firm. And so over time, what, what Develop, developed for me was, you know, I'm working with all these dedicated, committed fraud professionals and payment people. And I realized I really didn't know very much. Um, and so during the course of the year, I believe it was 2011, um, before the day of podcasts, all we had oh, were yeah. webinars. Um, I, hosted, I hosted 60 webinars that year. Um, and so I did more than one a week, basically interviewing all the sponsors, interviewing board members, getting different people. We did member spotlights um, because I personally was committed to learning more about the, the, the meat and potatoes of what yeah. the industry was about, not just, you know, how to run a, you know, create a well-run trade association or industry association. So that's, that's where I kind of flipped the switch for me. And, you know, I still have never sat in your chair. I still have never Never sat in the chair of a, of a payments manager, um, but I understand enough about the industry to help make connections um, and help people find the answers they're looking for, even if I don't know the answer myself. Yeah, I think that that is a, an excellent point is, you know, for me personally, I was used to for so many years sitting in the chair with my sleeves rolled up actually in the weeds fighting the fraud, like hands on every single day. Mm -hmm. I'm writing the rules. I'm finding the trends. I'm doing what I need to do to, to make sure that my company is safe. And as I've transitioned into the leadership side of this business, I spend almost zero time doing that these days and more time doing the strategy, looking down the road, like where we're going to go. But the partnerships is the piece that I think is what is most valuable for me and my company these days. Um, and the relationships that I've made through through the organization like the MRC and what's come out of that as far as like 
the, the different vendors to talk to, what they do, who to go to. And then we all kind of move around in the industry, you know, yeah, but yeah. the, the connections like is just, I think the most vital part, not only for like, for, for vendors and like solution providers, but also other professionals that, that were in the chair, still are in the chair, being able to reach out to these people. Like I know exactly who to go to every time. If I have a very specific problem, I know exactly who to go to, to try and talk about it, hopefully try and solve it. And that's on mm -hmm. both sides, like both the people in the chair and the people providing the answer to the people in the chair. And I think that it all came out of that central hub of, of, of organizing us. And that is such a valuable thing. And, and I know a lot of industries have like their conferences that they go to, but I think it's maybe because I'm just so close. Like I used to do like the Microsoft, like Converge conference. I think it's Convergence or Converge, one of those. And the the way that how the MRC is and the way that, that the all the different people interact together through the MRC is such a, a personal and intimate thing compared to what I would see in other industries. And I just think it's, it's just, it's really cool to that. The, the MRC's usage has evolved with how all of us have evolved too. So there's still a ton of content yeah. for people that are still sitting in that chair, but then there's a ton of content for me that have like, for people like me that have moved up in, in my role and have a more broad scope, like brushed role here. It's just uh mm -hmm. It's a lot of fun. This is the first time like I've been all the way through something, you know, because like you said, like you started in 2006 as a CEO. Uh, it's I, I mean, it, we're not that old. We're not as old as some other like organizations sure. and some other divisions, you know, so very, very interesting. Any 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 cool stories you can share with us? You know, Yeah, like, yeah, for stories? sure. There, there's a couple that come to mind when I was thinking about the origins of, of the M origins and the purpose of the MRC. So um the origin. So if you think about 2000, when the MRC was incorporated, literally uh, digital shoplifting was what was happening. And a lot of the people um, involved with the MRC were involved in loss prevention in the stores. So um, Rhonda Sifford, who is a legend in, in the MRC world, she was at Costco for many years, Starbucks actually performed an interim CEO for the MRC. She literally has a VHS cassette of her tackling a shoplifter in a parking lot at, at Costco. And that should those. be like somewhere, somewhere in the MRC um, hall of fame because on online fraud, you I mean offering those products online was a novelty, let alone the ways that people would rip them off. Like they, they just had no idea. No one knew how, uh, what a door it would open for, for fraud. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then the second story that comes to mind and an encouragement to anybody who is younger in their career um, and they're, they're involved with the MRC, but they're not really like stepping up to speak or get involved in committees because it's hard, right? You got your life, you know, and, and if you're the fraud boxer, you, you got to hit, you got to hit the gym. I'm sure. Yeah. You probably know, keeping you, I, yeah. I can't be a small guy out there, you know, I, I'll have to change my name. <laughs> so, so, um, so it is a time commitment, but I can think specifically of like Lincoln Barker. Lincoln was a, a fraud analyst in the basement of that, that building outside of Dallas for Neiman Marcus. And I convinced him to go speak at some conference uh, in San Diego. He was reticent to do it. He'd never spoken publicly. And that, you know, I mean, I, that opened his eyes. It, it raised his profile. And now he has like this amazing job at Apple. He's been there for a decade or so. Um, I wouldn't say that stepping up at the MRC was the only reason. That, yeah. that his his career took off, but it's a part of it, right? So you you put it out there and then good things come back um, from investing in a, a group like the MRC. I will say, I mean, I 
100% resonate with that. Like, uh, I think, you know, and we'll, we were going to talk about it was on the list, but at one point uh, at MRC, I think it was in 2012, even um, maybe it was a little later, you had asked me to come do a, a video with you. Like you basically interviewed me uh, for, mm -hmm. for Ikata, um, which was my pages pro at the time, but now they're Ikata. And that was like my first time really getting more going deeper and getting more involved. Um, and then from those sorts of things, you know, there's a little attention on that. But once I started doing panels, getting more involved and like doing blog posts and being a more contributor in the overall industry, it's the same thing. Like it, it I started to excel at my role. Like I was in a role at Fandango, which I love that company. I love everything that they did, but I was kind of stuck at the time. You know, it wasn't really, mm -hmm. there wasn't a whole lot of like, it was a brand new department that I had founded and I had done all the work on that. And we had um, Linda come in to help me with the chargebacks and she's great. She's still there and she's fantastic at what she does. Super happy that she came on board, but that was kind of like the peak of, because the volume and, and how we had structured it was kind of, it was kind of taking care of itself for the most part. Uh, and we just had to stay on top of the rules and stay on top of all that. But when I started speaking in, in the conferences, doing the panels, getting myself out there as something fun to do, it's like really, it's enjoyable. Once you get past the jitters, some people don't like it, believe it or not, everybody, I used to be super shy and super nervous on things. This, this, I had to create this version of, of, of Jordan, the fraud boxer, but there was a lot more attention that came to me and a lot more opportunities that came my way from that. People started to inquire about me and my availability to come to other organizations. Um, and that allowed me to take a chance to, to, to go to my next company in a larger role that had more upward momentum uh, and finally get to where I am today, which I'm still growing. I even, I just have my one-on-one -on -one for my, my goals with my boss last week. I told him how hungry I am exactly where I want to go, but I already kind of have my own self lined out. So I just show him what my own steps are, you know, and he's like, yep, sounds good. Let's keep doing that and we'll get you there. But yeah. I will say that like the, the exposure, once you're comfortable with that really opens up a lot of doors for you, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. So, so are you telling me that I'm partially responsible for releasing the Kraken? I would that say that, that everybody that, that doesn't like me in this industry because of how over the top I am is your fault. It's 100% your fault. You did this. So All everybody right. send, send your anger that way. <laughs> Universe, universal apologies. Um, so we had talked about like, why, why did I leave the MRC and why did I transition to yeah. white pages pro at the time? I think um, one, one thing um, that was pretty cool at the time. I had met the founder, Alex Elgard, um, of white pages. Um, and he had, he had a vision for how that identity data could be used in the BB context because the company was a B2C company still, still that. is. Yeah, still is actually still out there. Um, and I knew that I could help translate what he was, what he was visualizing for or visioning for a company to, uh, the language of merchants. I would take zero credit for product development and all of the great work that um, Kushal Shaha and others did, um, you know, in building the products that were sold um, by by Akata. Um, uh, but yes, it was it was a great adventure, and it was the first time I ever had to stand behind a product and actually understand enough of how the product was built, um, some of the limitations because you can't you know, 100% verify every identity on the globe. It's just impossible, right? That data yeah. doesn't exist. That would be a biometric or something else. So we're all kind of cobbling together still identity verification on a global basis. And I, I feel like Akata played an important role in the industry to help 
um, refine that aspect because there's device recognition, there is there are biometrics mm -hmm. and other pieces, um, and certainly there are other identity providers. Uh, but I was able to join the team at a very early stage and help grow the company, really harness the power of the MRC. We did a lot of, of great work and development through the Merchant Risk Council um, and uh, eventually moved to Singapore in 2020, right before the, the pandemic um, and, and opened the Asia Pacific office over there. Um, so I personally had met a ton of great people in the industry and at Akata. Um, you know, and personally got the benefit from the acquisition by MasterCard, which is awesome. They, they treated all the Akata people really well and still are. Um, and so I, it was just a great transition from Merchant Risk Council into the industry. Yeah. And I think that we, I mean, my, myself, I have, I have used Akata at several places in the past. Uh, I think it was an interesting way how these people search things kind of did change to a B2B thing because there was a like so for so many years like we had always tried to google somebody's name even before the google to try and find somebody and then white pages pro was one of the options that was that we could use you know you could pay you could get a record you could get some name get an address and then when it went to b2b it was it, it there was i don't know and you can kind of correct me if i'm wrong but it was more of an ad hoc like we had to look up we had to copy and paste things in before the api kind of came along and once the api came along it really was a, was a game changer because we didn't have to have people yeah. sitting in a room copying and pasting in there. And I think one of the yeah. things that that um, I've used you guys in the past, uh, I mean, you're not there anymore, but I had used ECOD in the past because the the um, international data was really strong. Like a lot of people, yeah. you can get you can get pretty robust like US data uh, in a lot of different places. And ECOD was was no exception. Like you can get really robust data there. You could get more information, like, like a lot of the services you could email or you get IP. Uh, but with you guys, you could get all the things, including the address. But the robustness of of European data, well, you guys were kind of a, ahead of the curve on that one. And it kind of helped out a lot in, in, in some of the more hot spots that would pop up from time to time. So you were at Ikata for a while. Um, can you like like really, I mean, outside of the Singapore office and doing that, are there any other like big milestones that you're you're proud of that you kind of want to talk about on that? Yeah, nine nine years at Ikata. Jordan, it was it was wasn't it wow yeah. time flew yeah <laughs> night, night, for for you yeah sure that's fine. <laughs> uh, no it was it was great i think one one other thing i would share about the akata experience so um uh, after alex elgard decided to bring on a ceo and then he's devoted his efforts to what was um white pages caller id and has become a company called haya They've been wildly successful and alex is focused there as the the ceo he brought on rob eleveld and um, if, you know, for your listeners, if you haven't met Rob, he's a fantastic guy. He's this mix of sales guy who is also an engineer, who is also a military guy. So he really cared about structure. He really cared about follow through and integrity. And, you know, we, we lost business over the years because we either wouldn't add in features that weren't, you know, to the letter compliant. Um, a lot of our competitors would do things that were in the gray area. Um, and because data is, yeah. there's a lot of gray areas with data. And so we, you know, we of course had to be GDPR compliant and, and all of the other uh, regulatory issues, but there are other steps you could take to be more commercially successful that somewhat compromise your integrity from my perspective. And we never crossed that line at Akata. And we also were really transparent with our customers and did a great job of getting feedback from the market to build the um, to build the products, to improve them, um, 
you know, again, Rob as CEO, he said, you know, touch the market. This is one of the things that always came up, like product, uh, product managers, um, engineers were out on the road talking to customers, talking to prospects, sitting with salespeople, hearing firsthand, um, as opposed in a lot of these solutions where the engineers are in one room, the salespeople are out selling ideas um, in, in another room. Um, and that it was just an amazing um, cohesive group at Akata. So I felt very blessed to have that experience. I will say that that is an excellent point as, as far as like how products go. And I've said it on my podcast a number of times that companies that do things like kind of, I guess we could call them focus groups, but like advisory boards where you invite a, a group of people in to talk about what they like and what they don't like about the product, how they want to use it and how they don't want to use it is super key. And usually, you know, a company, like if there's any solution providers that are listening that are, are thinking about that, usually you just have to invite them up for like a one day session and a cocktail hour. Uh, and you get so much information because a lot of these companies, you know, they, they start with an idea in their head and now about how they want to create a product. And then they launch this product to the marketplace and then how people are using the product might not be exactly how the vision was in your head. And it's really yeah. important to get that knowledge out of your, your end users and into your own head to see how people are using it to make sure that you're building your product the right way. You don't, something that they use, like a, that's a one click that they rely on. If you hide it behind 15 different clicks might not be the most ideal. And the same thing comes from when you're, when you're looking for product people, you know, uh, LexisNexis is, is put a, a focus on hiring fraud people into the product roles. And I think that that's super smart because like you said, you know, you have product people in one room making these, these products that they think that people are going to want to use while you have the salespeople talking to would, would be end users in the other room selling a completely different bag of goods. And I think yeah. that if you really can, can, can get those, like if you get fraud people into product roles or, or some sort of advisory group and get that knowledge transfer, you'll build stronger products and keep having those conversations because as you launch new features, the the and as new things pop up in this world, like like biometrics is a great example. You know, five years ago, people wouldn't have said, "Oh, I need a biometric solution." And now, like they would say, I, "All I need is a rules based system, a device ID, and some good, robust, you know, like location or uh, or address data." Now it's like with synthetic IDs and all of this, like you need a biometric solution. So. As long as like, if you have a bunch of people telling you, well, I need a biometric solution, you can have your product people start focusing on how they can do biometrics with your, with your existing solution. So yeah, there's all that. I think in the, in the middle of all, while you're at Ikata, you also started a, a consulting group, right? Called Paladin, correct? That's correct. Yeah. And the reason, uh, and I started that with uh, Jim Houlihan and who had been at Orbitz um, and a few other uh, industry um, home shopping network. Um, and then Jamin Whitehead, who uh, really was built his career at backcountry.com in Salt Lake City. Those two guys were interested in kind of getting out of corporate life and getting into and sharing their expertise. Um, and again, emphasizing I had never sat in your seat before. I didn't have the expertise. Um, I, I started that as a part time side project while I was at White Pages uh, Pro. Um, and even told, you know, very transparent with the CEO, I said, I'm starting this thing, doesn't make any money. Please don't fire me. Yeah. I need insurance for my for my kids, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> Sounds like so me I, with the podcast. <laughs> yeah. So I, in in my in my case again with, you know, transparency and honesty, I took a pay cut um saying, you know, I'm going to devote one day a week to developing Paladin and, and wow. White Pages Pro paid me less um during that period of time um so that, you know, they were getting a fair fair share of my time. And um after about a year or so 
um, I realized that White Pages Pro became a kata, uh, was really going to exit or IPO or something. And so I wanted to double down and invest in that. Jim and Jamin were perfectly competent to run yeah. the, the business on their own. Um, they, they did miss the, the sales um, guy that I was. Um, I'm sure they did. You know, they're, they're fraud guys. <laughs> You got, you got a you got a big Rolodex of us here, you know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but but they've done a great job, and they eventually had an exit with um, Paladin as well. They they were bought by one of their customers, which is oh, I actually great. Didn't great know for that. Them. Oh. Yes, yeah. Mountain Valley Bank. Mountain Valley Bank. Um, so they them. were in. Yeah, they were in doing a project with them, and the CEO heard the report and said, "This is amazing. Would you sell your company to me?" I'm paraphrasing, you know. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm just really proud of what we built there and that those guys took it and ran with it and, and made it marketable and sellable. So it's yeah, good. well, c- congrats, Jim and Jamin, if you guys ever do listen to this episode. So, uh, wow, <laughs> good job. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you touched on one thing there and then, and then we'll kind of, we'll, we'll move on in, in just a minute to where you're at now and what you guys are doing, because I think that's super interesting too. Um, yeah. so you had mentioned that, you know, the Equata was looking for the exit, and uh, they found that exit. So kind of, can you kind of just walk us through what you can about how that was, how that went? Mm. Um, I mean, yeah. it's always good when an exit happens and a lot of the people stay and a lot of the people are still there. So um, yeah. yeah. So yeah. talk to me about that. Well, I think the, the important thing to point out again, going back to Rob Eleveld, who was CEO, we didn't talk about exit. That was not on the table. We, we focused on doing right by our customers, hitting our numbers, um, working really well together. And so the, the exit was just a really nice outcome of doing great work for nearly a decade as a, as a core team. Um, and so I, they, you know, I don't know what else I could say about that. I mean, there's probably less than 10 companies that would buy something like Akata. Um, and the, you know, the CFO, the CEO of Akata did a great job of working with you know, the various entities that help you in a situation like that to put the package together, tell the story. Um, and we had a, we had a great outcome. I, I believe it's one of the largest multipliers in the fraud space. It was about 15x of, of revenue that the company sold for. Um, so again, that's a testament wow. to the need of the product in the industry um, and the, you know, the the recognition by MasterCard that it's a good addition to their um, portfolio yeah. of companies, new, new data is one of the biometrics companies yep. that, you know, that you were mentioning earlier. Um, um, Ethica was a part of that. So they've, they've done a good job. MasterCard's done a good job of, of yes. building a, a nice portfolio of companies. And then, you know, like you mentioned, LexisNexis earlier, they've also acquired a lot of companies in the space. Um, integrating them and building cohesive solutions is, is another challenge. Um, I only, mm-hmm. I stayed about a year after the acquisition. Um, I'm, I'm not really a big company guy, just to be honest. Um, I, I love the people at MasterCard and was a big um, proponent of them as a potential acquirer. Um, but um, I'm I'm happy to be uh, at a smaller firm now. Do you want to hear a little bit about Allies? Yeah, let's talk about Allies. Uh, this is something that, that you you've you've joined more recently, and I really want to devote um, a, a large chunk of time up to Allies. What it is, how it started what you guys are doing, what you're doing there, just the whole, the whole enchilada, as they say. <laughs> sure. There, there are a handful of firms in the world who do what um, Allies does. Um, allies is spelled a little odd. It looks like Ally is. 
Um, so people pronounce it differently, but it's allies like a comrade or a friend or a supporter. That's that's basically why we set this thing up. Um, and in essence, Jordan, if if you're a merchant out there or even a solution provider and you're sitting there and you're like, I don't have people, I don't have time or I don't have the know how, then our firm can help you get what you need. Uh, in essence, we um, we break the model of traditional consulting firms. Number one, mostly led by women and um, gay men. So that's a little unusual for consulting firms. Usually that's it's pretty cool. Old white dudes in suits. <laughs> yes, it is. Right? Yeah. Um, another another thing that we do differently is that we in, we have a very strong network. Um, the the leaders. So I'm the eighth partner to join the firm. Um, everyone had come through the Merchant Risk Council network, and so. Wow. You, uh, you know, 15 plus years for each of the partners um, and everyone has such a strong network. So if if you said to me, you know, we finished and he's like, hey, Tom, I, I got a buddy. He's got a problem with crypto in Croatia. I'm like, I'm sure I can find somebody who knows crypto in Croatia. So we we crowdsource the talent for the different projects. We thoroughly vet them. We have partners kind of riding with them during the duration of projects. Um, and, and the net effect here is that we're getting um, intelligence and expertise to companies, mostly merchants or fintechs, um, who have problems they can't solve on their own or they don't have the people power or the time they need to get off the high risk list or something to that effect. Um, and we basically are then providing great, interesting jobs that tend to pay more than what if you're full time in a basement of some fraud shop at a retailer, for example. Um, and many of our experts are living on sailboats. They're truly nomadic. Um, they're super professional, but they're able to live wherever they want, however they want, deliver on these projects. And, and like I said, we're delivering tremendous value to our customers. So we, we steer away from the word consultant because that typically yeah. you, you think of a, a, a middle-aged white dude in a suit who was born in a test tube. Um, the difference with, with allies is that our people have actually done your job, right? Yeah. So they've sat, they've sat in your seat where they've led marketing for a solution provider. They've done the branding and repositioning for a vendor. Um, you know, these are, these are really valuable things that few consulting firms can really um, put out there in their, in their marketing. So are these these people that are that are doing this work with you guys uh are they are they full employees or is this like something that you could like sign up for like to be a part of the network how how does that work Yep it, we don't widely advertise it because our network is so strong we can generally through word of mouth find yeah. folks that we need to do it and we have a combination of of types of people who work with us Jordan so some have full-time jobs and they have permission from their employer to do strategic advice for certain situations or nights and weekends doing data analysis, these kind of things. Cause you know, you've lived this life. It's like, Oh, I'm going to spend my Saturday yep. going through payment processing information or, you know, something. Um, and so we, we do that, you know, when, when companies don't know how, or they, they don't have the, the people. Uh, we also have folks that work exclusively with us. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're, eating what, you know, we, we bring in through the door. So they aren't full-time jobs. They're on contract. But again, m many of them are living lives that are pretty darn interesting and exciting. And this is a, a great addition to, you know, help them fund their life 
um, continue to stay uh, in tune with the key things that are going on in the industry and add a lot of value to situations where companies are, are stuck or they need a boost or they need strategic advice. Do you really have people on sailboats? That would be yeah. Well, really only cool. only one that I'm aware of. Last time I talked to him, he was he was in Croatia. That's that's awesome. By the way, I'm starting a, my my. I just did pick my band name, uh, but I might change it to Crypto in Croatia, uh, maybe because that <laughs> that was pretty good. I do like that. But uh, the the boat thing is super interesting. So uh, just to, not, not to to go on like a weird story, like my parents uh, live in Oregon still, uh, outside of Portland, North Salem. So kind of in the in the country a little bit. But they also have a uh, an RV lot that they like a like a little piece of property over on the Siletz River in in the coast, the Oregon coast. They call it the coast, but they don't call it the beach. Uh, I think they do the same thing in Washington. But uh, the all the neighbors like there's no cell phone service, there's no internet service out there, little beach lot. But all the neighbors have been buying this the SpaceX um, the Starlink, and it's so good and my, my cousin actually now works for them over he's been for about a year and a half over here in uh, in hawthorne but like i it's just like the possibilities of that and i watched this guy named aquaholic on youtube like i do his boat tours and every time like he's walking around like this million dollar boat or two million dollar boat i'm like that would be the life to throw to throw a, a you know a, a starlink on that boat and just cruise around all day long doing my job when i gotta do it and then as soon as i'm off i'm floating at sea i having a mimosa, you know, got my feet up and then I go swimming like that. Yeah. That's the goal. Yeah. That's the goal at the end of the day is, and I would want it to be in Croatia because that's where the weather's real good and got that nice yeah. crystal blue water over there. But yeah, just to, just to sure. go on a tangent there. So, <laughs> so that's, so how do people like, you know, I think there's, there's a lot in there. So let, let, let's, let's do two things. Let's talk yeah. about what your guys's main focuses are. As far mm -hmm. as like, is it payments? Is it fraud? Like, is it security? Yeah. Is it cybersecurity? Is there expansion yeah. into any categories? And how do people, how do people get involved? Like how, like, do yeah. they, yeah. like, and, and, and what if as, as an end user, as a, like, as a merchant, what if I need your services? How, how let's, let's do all those things right there. Okay. That's more than two, but you know, we're you know, friends. Who's so counting? I'll, I'll yeah. throw, I'll th throw we'll give you the, bak the baker's dozen. Um, so, um, What's the first question? And I will remember the others. What are what are the actual like uh, focuses? <laughs> that's what, that's oh, good. thank yeah, you. I, mean, yeah. I, I, I did throw you for a loop on that. And, and you know, yeah. I like how we completely went off our notes. We're just like, we're just yeah. people smooth. talking. About. This is the way yeah, to do just, it, you know? <laughs> yeah, smooth. So um, most of our most of our projects are with merchants. Okay. So we, we spend a lot of time with merchants and fintech. So these are... Um, with operators in the space, mostly B2C companies. Um, they have issues with payments or fraud. That's it. Okay. So we don't do, we don't do cybersecurity. We, we steer away. We can do some legal compliance type work, but you know, if you think about money transfer companies, um, we work with few, we have to avoid like helping them figure out compliance in Croatia or in Kansas yeah. or, I mean, like it's just That's Pandora's it's, box right there. <laughs> there, there are law firms who specialize in that. We, we don't. We, we have a pretty um, good, bright line around you know certain topics like that where we just we'll just tell our prospects, yeah, you don't want to work with us. I mean, if you need us to find somebody, we can do that. But um, so that's it's payments and fraud with merchants and fintech companies. Um, additionally, we do a lot of work with solution providers. They may be U.S. based. They want to expand to Europe or Asia. Uh, I mean, they need advice from myself or partners who've been there and done that. 
Um, they may be a fraud company and they want to be better connected into the payment space. Um, and they, they realize that payments people, acquirers, PSPs, they don't speak the language of fraud. They don't really see the value. They so, think they do. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think it's not um, it's not a core part of their value prop. Yeah. Right. Um, and so and, and that that is a part of the industry that's evolved quite a bit. You know, um, Adyen has its own fraud product. Stripe has its own fraud product. And, you know, one could say there are more advanced solutions out there. But yeah. for a lot of their customers, that's all they really need is, I, a, is a basic tool. Right? And I will say like Stripe specifically, like with Radar, they have made some pretty significant investments and it's it's getting it's getting quite good for for the the average user of that particular product. So so kudos to my friends over at Stripe. Um, good job with Radar so far. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So that's that's kind of like the who um, allies works with. So merchants, fintechs and then solution providers. And then generally, you know, how do we find our experts? Like I said, organically, we find them. Um, if you're a merchant and you're, you have expertise, you have an interest in doing this, or you work at a fintech in fraud or payments, contact me. I'm sure, Jordan, you're going to throw up my, my uh, contact information. It's tom at allies.com. Pretty, pretty straight or, or li likelihood that we're already connected on LinkedIn is pretty great. Um, yep. <laughs> so you can ping me there. Um, and then um, uh, what about merchants that have issues? Again, I'm, I'm happy to help uh, have a discovery conversation um, we were just uh, on with some longtime contacts through the MRC. They're having some challenges and questions around payments in India. Um, through our network at Allies, we were able to bring in someone who's who is Indian, has lived and worked in the Bay Area, and work um, and just returned from a stint in India. Has worked with the central bank there, the RBI. Um, has dealt with all the payment regulations and um, the expatriation of funds issues that this company is dealing with. It's like. It's, it's, it's like when, like this conversation, right? Where it's like, it just flows. You're like, okay, yeah. this is, I, I, one of the things I most love about the work that I've done, Jordan, is matchmaking, right? It's like, I don't have the answers, but I'm pretty damn sure I can help you find what you need. Um, and in essence, that's what Allies does. That's awesome. Like I, you know, I was just, I did a couple of calls last week with a couple of just, just friends, you know, that are off, off the books things, like not things I'm charging for or anything like that, nothing to do with anything, but it was people just asking for, for help or ends to certain organizations, you know, like those were more solution providers, not like what you guys do, but people saying, I have this problem. Uh, I want to talk to somebody about this specific thing. And then I just hooked them up, but I guess it's kind of is what you guys do. I need to start pushing more people your guys's way there for those sorts of things. You know, we, you and I have already talked yeah. about that in the past. But yeah. I think that that's 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 such a good thing, like the the bringing people together. And I, I love that story about India specifically, like my company is is a very multinational company. Like we have we take payments everywhere, every mm -hmm. single place. And the nuances of those those payments is and I'm using payments just as a specific example is very cloudy. For a lot of people, it's not like you just fire up a payment processor, you take payments, money gets deposited into a bank account and you go home and ship a product. No, there's things like Brazil, you know, where they hold the money in the bank account has to sit there for 30 days. You know, there's there's certain you have to have a certain amount of people in certain countries. You have to have a bank account yeah. in, a, in a certain country. But in order to get that bank account, you have to have a, an actual person of that nationality living there. There's so many nuances there that I think that people like they had, they have these grandiose ideas that they're going to make this company. It's going to be this international presence and everything's going to go perfect.
But when you start peeling back the layers, next thing you know, you're, you're losing 50% of your profit because you got to pay cross-border fees that you might not have to be able to do. So I think that, that having a company like you guys that would help people navigate those sorts of waters without having to have full-time staff to do that, you know, you can hire you guys, get the project done move on with your lives is is a pretty cool way especially for emerging companies or companies that are trying to expand into new territories so so i'm glad you guys exist <laughs> so as yeah. we and as I, we... I would add yeah i want to add one thing there yeah, jordan real quick because i think everybody's familiar with kpmg and ernst young and these big consulting firms they generally yeah. don't have the deep expertise that a firm like allies has right in, in payments and fraud and the other thing is that we're more affordable than those firms so it's like Better advice, um, and it's it's more affordable. The thing the thing is though, um, bigger companies are going to be prone. They already have a contract with yeah. those big consulting firms, and they're going to stay with what they know, the safe. So our our stripe of you know, no, no reference to the payments company, our band of of customers tend to be bigger companies who are sophisticated enough so they they shouldn't be asking questions or they got challenges, but not not necessarily the global behemoths who are already you know under yeah. contract with with ey does that make sense that does make perfect sense yeah those those uh medium to to medium large businesses you know it's like I, I like how like like they like they always classify like it could be a multi or billion dollar business and they're like yeah it's a medium-sized business i'm like geez what does that take these days you know not everybody's <laughs> apple sure. anymore guys um, for sure so so this is, I think we're at the beginning of 2023 and we're, we're looking forward. I, I did a, an episode last week, my first episode of the season that uh, focused on what my predictions were for 2023. Um, I have an article coming out with uh, Identique that um, I say some of those same things, but in a more formal um, scenario. So with you mm -hmm. guys, um, from, from, from the knowledge that you have, what do you think are going to be like the next big trends that, that your product and your company is going to be able to help people address? So what do you got? Yeah. Well, when I was thinking about this question, what, what's gotten me excited the last couple of weeks is we have a couple of customers who are attempting to make payments profitable. And so how this is playing out, I mean, let's, let's be honest, all, yeah. all love to the credit card brands. Nobody likes credit cards. And, and yeah. most of us only use them because of the points. Like I'm, I'm <laughs> sure, you know, most of the people who are organized enough to listen to a podcast on a specific subject like this have their credit card and auto payment every month because we don't want to uh -huh. pay the interest, right? 100%. So, so ultimately, how can I get the benefit I'm looking for, which is some sort of loyalty recognition and maybe um, greater brand recognition, um, and not have to deal with the potential issues of late fees or that sort of thing. Um, and so what we're seeing is uh, gaming companies, travel companies uh, doing their own uh, 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 banking, using a banking as a service uh, company, a vendor to build their own debit card where the, the points are in their game or they're in travel for their specific site. Um, so it's still an open it's still an open loop card. You can use it wherever. Um, and as you know, debit is more um, prominent in a lot of markets than credit anyway. Yep. Um, and so that's something that I find fascinating where, you know, it's like using the energy that's coming at you in martial arts to like, you know, to your advantage. Um, this is where these companies are saying, and there was one um, 
I won't mention the company when they were they were doing this very successfully in Russia, but they had to shut it down because of the war, you know, all the conflict that's going yes, on. Very familiar and, with and, that. Yep. So we're we're working to replicate that product that product that uh, that white label credit card across Europe um, to be able to help them increase that brand loyalty, um, save them money on transaction fees, um, and get you know again sticky sticky relationships with their customers. I think that that's really a good idea. The the gaming thing, where if you use a, a branded credit card for like a gaming company, you get like in game credit and rewards and stuff like that. I mean, I like I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Like, I'm a I'm a sucker for rewards cards. I uh, I I mean, I have my Delta Reserve card that I use for everywhere. So I finally I hit gold status, gold medallion. So I got that. And like just even just yesterday, I was uh I was trying to buy a new an amp for my guitar. I knew I was getting an AC15 Vox tube amp. And I was on Sweetwater Music and I was like setting up my account and they had a uh, they had their their co-branded credit card right there. The unfortunate thing for Sweetwater, and I'm sorry, everybody, is that I also have the Amazon card for five percent off and Amazon had the same sale. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was happening well. on Sweetwater. So I had to buy yep. it on Amazon so I get my five percent points yep. back because five percent is a lot, you know, Um and I, yeah. I mean, I, I just have that Amazon card just permanently stuck on my account. So, and I, I chase Sapphire Reserve. So, like free Grubhub or, or a free uh, Dash Pass and Lift Pink and all that. Like, I'm a sucker for all those little tiny benefits, every little thing that I can get that I don't have to pay for. But, and I, you're mm-hmm. right, I, I auto pay it. I don't, I mean, I try and I keep track of what I'm doing. I'm not going crazy, but like, that's just, it's yeah. so much less stress when you just, you can auto pay all the things. So, uh, so for the most part, like you guys are just advising your clients, both big, small, medium, both sides of the fence, exactly what they're supposed to be doing. And I think that that's, that's really, really, really cool. Um, <laughs> so one last thing, I know we kind of, we basically kind of touched on it as far as like what you guys are doing, but in your opinion, as somebody that, that talks to everybody in this industry and is connected to everybody in this industry, uh, what do you think the top three trends for our industry is going to be uh, over the next year or so. Top three in the industry. Um, I realize I only wrote one down, so here That's we okay. go. Yeah. yeah. So the first, the first one is what we're seeing uh, among our client base at Allies is that companies that are traditional B two C brands are are really going hard um, at direct to consumer. So we we would call that new to E, right? They. They've been selling through intermediaries. Think, think, you know, Procter and Gamble is not one of our customers, but they create toothpaste and deodorant and all of these other sorts of things. Um, and they want consumers to go to their website because they get more margin if yeah, they sell the absolutely. products direct. But they don't understand payments and fraud. And some of the products are um, thinking of luxury goods in particular are highly fensible. So that's that's something that we're seeing quite a bit. Um, I just did three years in uh, Singapore. Um, so uh, in the realm of payment ideas, uh, the, the use of QR codes, point of oh. sale, and the use of wallets um, more broadly, again, p- mostly driven by loyalty. That's, yeah. that's why these loyalties are po- or the, the wallets are popular. And the consolidation of the, the you, you've probably seen in the, um, in the press around the, the super apps um, out of Singapore and Indonesia, Grab and Gojek, um, you know, they want you to uh, hail your rides. They want you to get yep. your food delivered through that app. They want you to borrow money. They want the drivers to borrow money to, to uh, use, car, to lease cars. Um, it's, you know, so there's, there's a lot of power in that 
that you know companies like Amazon are, w- are one of the few where they they've kind of harnessed financial services and built it into the retail experience, that sort of thing. So I think we're going to yeah. see more of that. I would say yeah, we're doing we're integrating GrabPay right now, uh, like like literally right now, like it should be done in a week or so. <laughs> but like Great. you see like like yep. Kakao and stuff, you know, in like South Korea where it's just one of those super apps. But I think that people like like we always would talk about a few years ago how wallets were having a, a difficult time penetrating the U.S. You know, they were mm-hmm. very popular in like especially the APAC region. But I think that with the apps they're all kind of creating their own version, like Taco Bell, McDonald's, they have like all those, like their own version of a wallet in there. And I think people are more using the wallets more than they realize outside of just Apple pay and Google pay more than they, they actually thought that they were using it. But the QR codes thing is, 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 is especially during the pandemic, you know, that was something that really, really got to be more popular. And actually there's a, there's a pub that I go to on Fridays and they got a new system where you can just scan your QR code on your receipt when they hand it to you and just pay and walk out the door. And I love that. It's so nice. I can just go and it keeps me a little more honest because I can be very, very, very generous tipper. Uh, and sometimes it keeps me a little more honest <laughs> on those sorts of things and make sure that I'm tipping the appropriate amount these days. But, you know, That's I like good. to I like That's to be good. nice to everybody. Uh, one of the things like any, anything around identity that you might be thinking of, I know I know you're no longer at, at ICADA, but um, yeah. identity yeah. is always an ever changing thing, especially with compliance uh, overseas and yeah. GDPR. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and I pay close attention to this because a lot of our customers, um, both merchants and on the solution provider side, uh, are either providing identity services or they're in need of them. Um, I think one one thing that's interesting, and, and I didn't mention this earlier, Jordan, but I think you know one of the key reasons why um, Akata and other companies keying off of like identity elements like email. Um, phone, these sorts of things, why they can do that in Europe and globally is because there is a a clause in GDPR that basically uh, gives you an exemption for fraud prevention and risk. You can't do Apple. (laughs) Exactly. You cannot do those same sorts of searches for marketing purposes, right? Forward, forward. Yeah. Those, those carve outs are super key. Yeah. For, for how you're using the data. Yeah. It's same thing. It's like storing data. When you do GDPR deletes, there's exemptions. Mm -hmm. If you, if you need to have it for, for compliance purposes and and identity fraud prevention purposes. So, yeah. Yep. So I think in the identity realm, what I would say is there's still a real hunger for better B2B um, information. We're talking, no, we're not talking about shipping something to, uh, you know, um, a large corporation. We're talking about the mom and pop enterprises would have been the, the, the flower stand on the corner or, you know, Jordan's rad teas or whatever you're selling out of your garage these days. Um, there it, it, it's what I've always found is that those smaller businesses are only really one step removed from a consumer identity. Um, but there really hasn't been in, in my opinion, a company that has developed a good global way to identify those smaller businesses um, there's a lot of lending that happens in this space in the fintech area. Um, there's a lot of um, merchant onboarding that's problematic for the, the the acquirers. They can lose a lot of money with fake merchants um, before they discover that it's a you know it's a it's a criminal uh, enterprise yeah. that's set up to rip them off. So that's that's an area where I mean, if I had a, a team of engineers and you know a couple million bucks, I would build something that is related to you know, small business. Um, identity verification for acquirers, PSPs, and for fintech companies lending to them. That's a a really really good idea. And you know, people like uh, J.P. Morgan Chase when they bought Frank probably would have been a little 
little happier to save, you know, a couple hundred million dollars there. But uh, I think it's it, the, the the fake stores thing is super interesting timing because just yesterday, Steve on my team who was on last week's podcast shared an article about um, Pakistan opening up there like uh amazon opened up pakistan to be able to have sellers like marketplaces on amazon and the challenges that they had in that marketplace with with people trying to create fake stores and sell fake goods kind of like a triangulation scheme but more with refunding involved so definitely see a need there that would be really 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 cool especially in this, this distributed commerce type world that we live in where like everything's a portal to another person's portal to another person's portal like that could be super helpful so yeah any any final thoughts you have for us well, I mean, it's always it's always fun to to chat, Jordan. And I mean, you were just a you know snotty nosed kid when I met you, so I it's was. been fun to see you. Yeah, so I, I I won't comment on your hygiene these days, but you've definitely <laughs> matured. And and I and I love the way that you have such a strong voice. I think you know um, over time you're also learning that you're not always right, which is you know ninety eight percent. I'll give you that. Yeah, that's, that? it's usually <laughs> usually right. But I, I have I have been humbled in my life. Uh, like definitely, <laughs> you 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 saw the young hotshot that years, and then you know you watched me get into a more where my voice. I I understand that my voice is heard to a certain level, so I have to be. I have to think more about what I say uh, because people yep. people do listen, and and it's been. And I want to thank you for for being a part of that journey, and for for giving me the opportunities and the chances, and for always giving me a call when you were in LA to come, come meet up at the Fandango offices, you know, those sorts of like, yep. like always pushing and, and, and trying to make sure that you were around, make sure I was buying the product too. You know, that's, that's always an important thing there, but uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for all these years. And uh, thank you for, for always for doing this, for giving me your time. You know, this is, this is, a, this is a prime example folks that like, if you are nurture the relationships that you have with the people around you, not only can you get, career growth. Um, but you also can get people that wouldn't normally come on a podcast like this to come on your podcast, you know, cause you're a heavy hitter as we say. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad to do it, Jordan. I think you're doing a great job. Let's, let's keep spreading the word and getting people engaged. Yeah, I, absolutely. And I'm going to put all your contact information, uh, in the, the notes on this podcast. Like I normally do everybody. I think that you guys have a really cool product that I think a lot of people will get some value. So I'm going to make sure that I share all that information on how to get a hold of you guys, because I think there are people that definitely have that need and have that need today, especially going into 23, looking at their roadmap for what they need to do. So happy to, to make sure that, that those people know how to get in contact with you. And I want to thank you again for, for being a part of this podcast, for giving me your time. I know you're all the way over in Spain and you just got there. So it, it's quite a, quite a big ask. Ask, but thank you for, for giving me your time. Thank you for moderating that panel that we were on in Seattle last year at the end of the year. Uh, yeah, just thank you. Thank you overall. And thank you, Jordan. Great to chat. We'll talk soon.